Welcome back to Straight Talk on Leadership. This week's episode is another star-paneled webinar where Dean, along with some of the best police chiefs and sheriffs, take another deep dive in the major issues facing law enforcement agencies today. They discuss the most recent events in Atlanta, along with sharing ways law enforcement agencies can move forward following another tragic week for police and the media. I hope you enjoy, and leadership rocks. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I, all I can say is, wow, what a week. You know, when we were talking this time last week, we didn't really realize that we would have another week that would be just absolutely as wild. And it's, um, I'm not going to say it. Well, maybe the word crazy would be uh, the word we would use, but certainly interesting in terms of times for police work. I mean, we have seen a week where we have literally come under attack from every side, every area, politically. Uh, police right now is very, very tough time to be a police officer with uh, the recent shooting in Atlanta and the charging of the officers there. When we talk about the George Floyd case, there's just major, major issues right now that are facing each one of you in this world of policing. And so we've got our panel with us today that we're going to ask some of these really, really tough questions and we're going to try to get their responses. And, and as if it follows as we did last week, they were absolutely honest with candor and just absolutely were able to give us some great tips on things that we're doing and should be doing uh, when we talk about law enforcement out there, what's going right now. So, you know, folks, thank you very much for joining us uh, again. These are some really tough times. I don't know that I have ever, and this is probably going on my 40th plus year of doing this and being in law enforcement. I don't know that I've ever seen times that are quite like these uh, with the social media. we got a perfect storm going on with communities and the racial injustice issues. And now we got the use of force issues. There's just uh, the morale issues. There's just a lot going on. And I think uh, I really appreciate you guys willing to step up and join me and give us your opinions, your ideas and suggestions. What this webinar is all about is helping each other, Leaders Helping Leaders Network, where we help each other grow and learn and help make our leaders and our organization better as well as ourselves. So here we go. Let's start out with, let me give you guys just a little short chance here to kind of have an opening statement, if you will, and then we'll go right into the question. So Tom, we'll go to you. Well, you know, again, thank you for having us, Dean. Um, just shout out to Leaders Helping Leaders Network. Um, what a time. There was ever a time for an organization like this it's right now so we can share with each other um i will tell you that this has been an interesting week uh, i know last week i talked about that the band-aid had been ripped off uh, with what happened up here in minneapolis with the george floyd incident uh, however we've had numerous other incidents happen now um, throughout the country uh, and and you know it's 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 been a challenging time for all of us it's been a time where I think all of our hearts are heavy, but uh, I am going to go back to something that I know that uh, Dean Chris talks about all the time, and I agree 100%. Within challengers, opportunities, and I think that right now, although there's a lot of political things that are going on and other things, that there's an opportunity for us that we will remember probably all of us on this call for the rest of our life to change kind of the direction uh, where we are right now in law enforcement. And they'll probably have to do with some national standards. Uh, I don't know how many people read a lot of law enforcement periodicals, periodicals, excuse me, but recently uh, uh, we found out that the FBI's national database uh, that they started, if you remember right, Dean, three years ago, Director James Comey at that time actually spoke at our national conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Four hours later, he was fired, but he talked about that national database where officers uh, departments would put forth um, for transparency when their officers use force. And 
Um, yesterday, it came out that only 40% of departments throughout the country are doing that. So I think we're going to see a lot of different things when we talk about use of force, when we talk about uh, implicit bias and, and, and different things as far as race relations. And finally, the big elephant in the room right now is qualified immunity, something that, you know, having 38 years in this line of work, I hope that everybody in this call realize um, how important it is. I think the administration has taken a stance that they um, – they, they support that we don't get rid of qualified immunity and the Supreme Court ruled that they don't want to hear um, issues on qualified immunity for police officers right now. So those are the challenges in front of us. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, that's a that's a big topic. We may talk about that a little bit today. And go ahead. Well, thanks for having me back. And Kelly, I want to thank you for that introduction. But I do I do want to qualify something. I am a retired chief out of the state of Washington, but I was actually terminated out of California. So for those who would Google me or whatever, I did want to be clear about that. Um, but I'm one of many chiefs now who have fallen. I uh, think you're going to be see, and as you are watching, a tremendous number of chiefs are either be going to be fired, are being fired, or are being asked to resign. And uh, that is really a fallout. Uh, these mayors and city managers want to look strong. And it's much like coaching NHL or NFL football or NBA basketball. Uh, the easiest and strongest thing it looks like during these seasons of reform is to cut the coach, cut the chief. So that's just uh, a fallout that I would like for y'all to be thinking about as you want to be executives, where, where are you going to stand? What is your position you're going to be in? So Leaders Helping Leaders Network, this is exactly uh, our opportunity to come alongside, encourage you, give you some principles of thinking. Um, but thank you, uh, Tomas, as well. These are times for great opportunities. And I want us to embrace the storms. Don't run from them, embrace them. And uh, I look forward to the conversation. So thanks, Dean. Okay, and thank you very much. Uh, Sheriff Lewis, we want to hear from you, man. I, what you got going on? Oh, busy day, uh, for sure. A lot going on today. It's, um, you know, last week and before that, we were dealing with protests and we were dealing with certainly a racial divide uh, here in our area, and we're trying to remedy that. And now this week we're dealing with our men and women who work here that feel like everybody's giving up on them and everybody's going to throw them to the wolves in case something happens. Um, serious morale issues uh, for the past few days. And you try to attend roll calls and, and, and go into different divisions and talk to people and, and try to explain what may happen in your particular area uh, where we live here in the upstate of South Carolina. And, one of the most important things was for me to go talk to our solicitor and say, okay, I'm going to have to go talk to our people. Here's what I'm going to tell them. I need to know where you stand uh, because they are concerned about what's going on with qualified immunity, what's going on with our use of force policy. Uh, how can they be charged? You know, they've watched videos and they've listened to commentary on national news. And um, it's a, it's a difficult time. And, uh, and it's certainly the snowballs just continuing to get bigger. Um, the best we can do now is slow it down. I think we're, we're past busting it at this point, um, at, at this juncture for sure, but we're trying and, and we got really good people, but we got a lot of young people, uh, who go home and their spouses are watching the news and they say, Hey, you know, is this really worth it? Is this really what you want to do? So morale has been our biggest thing this week, uh, for sure. And, uh, and we're just trying to stay out in front of that. And all our elected officials here locally have called or come by and said, hey, we got your back. And, and that's helped tremendously today uh, for them to publicly come out and say, look, we support our law enforcement. So we had 60 or 70 people out in front of the law enforcement center this morning holding signs saying we back the blue. Uh, a couple of uh, representatives were here, Bobby Cox and Jason Elliott from our area. Uh, so that was helpful. and. Uh, and it's, it's just a matter of, I know we need to embrace the storm, but it's uh, the storm's getting a little heavier each day, it seems like. Uh, and I'm not sure the rain gear can hold up to it. So 
so we're uh we're trying to trying to shake some of that off but i was able to uh one thing i was able to say and i was very proud of the fact that uh this morning that a, a network like leaders helping leaders and talking to law enforcement administrators really from all over the nation uh and having that idea board to bounce things off of and to talk to and to discuss issues before we take them to our people and get a, another perspective on it um, went a long way with the local media. They realize we are doing something. You know, we're not just hiding in the building and, and, and having our own meetings inside the building. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's baby steps right now. We're just trying to uh, trying to keep those storms to a minimum. So, yeah, you know, it's so true. And, 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 What's what's great about this conversation with you folks? And we're going to go to Mac in just a minute. Did we lose you, Mac? He's having he was having some internet issues. But what's great uh, talking to you guys is that out of each one of you so far, I've gotten just already stuff that if I was in a leadership position right now would already help me. Kind of like okay, I'm not the only one facing this, and here's some kind of ideas. And I, and I really do appreciate it, that about you. Before we get into these really tough questions, Mac. If you're ready, you want to say you're muted there, it looks like, for just a second. Uh, I would like to echo what uh, Sheriff Lewis said earlier. Morale is the biggest thing. You know, I never would have thought I'd be sitting in front of everybody and tell them how much social media plays in, in our the morale, our police department, and things nationwide. Uh, our biggest challenge is to try to constantly let the officers know that we have their back. Um, our city council and all has done that. Um, but, you know, it's a hard thing to read in the media, especially unfortunately how people can twist things and then trying to keep these young officers from making a response that can later be read into something that's been our biggest thing um but everybody on the board um i agree with everything they're saying it, it is a tough time but you know we'll weather the storm we just got to pull together and make good choices and, you know we're going to have to adjust the way that that we write policies um and all that we're looking at that and here in my hometown and you know, I think this this board and this panel hopefully will help everybody. I know it helps me. I, I took some stuff back from last week um, and applied it here at our place. So thank you, Chief, for having me. No, no worries. Thank you very much, Mac. I appreciate that. Now, you know, as we discussed last week, we're going to ask some really tough, hard questions. We've heard a lot of, about morale issues, and I don't know that I have ever witnessed it to the point where you have a national blue flu I know back, uh, I have witnessed it in individual agencies where individual agencies would be having issues and you'd have some of those get a blue flu or a state even with the blue flu. But we're risking the right now a, a national blue flu, if you will, where folks are going to make it a lot easier to call in sick. In Atlanta last night, in response to the charges, we saw uh, zones upon zones upon zones not able to answer any calls for service and basically said, if you're not being stabbed or shot, we're not coming out, we're not doing those things and just looking at the media. That's, that's an entirely different day because what that does is go to the heart of the service of the individual. And when you impact the heart of the service of the individual, you're at a very deep level of disruption in their life. And then as of course, it's into the organizational life as well. So with that being said, we have seen morale plummet. Uh, it was on its way downward. And the Richard Brooks case where the, the uh, DA, the, the press conference yesterday that he held, um, I, I don't know, uh, not being critical, uh, trying to be too critical of him, but I don't know that I've ever seen a press conference where a district attorney or a solicitor or anybody prosecuting a police officer would allow the civil attorneys of the victims to speak and then allow people that really were involved as witnesses, allow their attorneys to speak. I thought that was an interesting kind of, uh, the way that was handled sent a very clear message that they were going totally out for prosecution, not, not meaning they shouldn't. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, 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 politically motivated, but I'm telling you yesterday, it was completely a new day for me to witness what went on. And as a result, you could see immediately the results of that. So I'm going to ask you this tough question. We've seen morale plummet in the last couple of days, and we've seen police organizations literally shook to the core. Now, when you talk about these issues that we're seeing, 
we're actually seeing our agencies being shaken to the core. What do we do? How do we help officers morale? And I'm going to uh, ask you guys in no specific order. You guys chime in as you believe it. What should we be doing to help address these issues? Well, I think for us, I think they need to see their leaders. They need to see the command staff more than ever. They need that reassurance. I think it helps to get out and for us, for them to see the public. Uh, we still have people that drop off stuff here every day. They're dropping off cookies or or donuts or, uh, or, or cards or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, they feel a little bit isolated and, and maybe that the things that are happening in other parts of the country are happening here. They just hadn't seen them yet or are going to happen here. Um, so for us or for me personally, I think is, uh, is getting out in the building certainly helps, but the battle you have trouble fighting is social media. Uh, it's, you know, all the rumors of the walkouts in Atlanta last night and all that stuff, what was actually true and what was actually said. Um, I think a lot of our officers here thought, hey, do we need to do that here? And, uh, and it was concerning, you know, for sure. So, uh, again, trying to get in front of it because we can't make promises to them about what situation they may be in and what might happen. But, you know, we did tell them we're, we're going to defend you and we're going to defend your actions as long as you adhere to the policy we have. Um, and work within those guidelines. Um, and again, getting to all those people has, has probably been the toughest part here. One of the things I saw, um, and I, I don't think I'm incorrect in saying this, is that when you talk about taser training, uh, all the taser training that I've seen, and Mac, you might be more relevant current on these things than I am, but when you see taser training, it, they always talk about when, once your taser is taken by someone, then it escalates the ability to use use of force is deadly force at that point. Is that still true, Mac, in most of the training that's going on with the taser? Yes, sir. Um, you know, when, when you're certified with a taser and, and everybody out there that is listening to us knows this, um, there, there are certain parts of the body that you can, you know, utilize that taser on certain parts. You can't, of course, anywhere in the head and the face and the eyes and anything like that is, you know, that's, that's no longer less than lethal. That's more lethal than less than lethal. Um, so yes, it, there, there's a reason why you have a certification for it. There's a reason why you deploy it a certain way and in the hands of somebody that is not certified with it that completely understands the effect. It can be a deadly weapon. So what happens is, as you see in the shooting Richard Brooks is when the person takes the taser is one thing, but the person actually attempted and did deploy the taser in the direction of the officer and the officer then reacted with the use of deadly force. I think that's what's on the minds of a lot of police officers is that we're taught one thing. And then when we do what we're taught, now we're prosecuted for it. And I think that's a really, really tough issue when it comes to morale of how do you address that? So I'm going to pose that to the rest of the panelists. Hobart, I should have mentioned that prior to, but you made me think of that. Tom and Ann, what, what, what are your thoughts? How, how do we address that when we're taught one thing and then we do it and then now we're prosecuted for it? So help me, help, help our folks out here who are listening. Let, you know, let's have a discussion on that. You know, one of the things um, that I think is really critical to all this, and, and I, I saw Sheriff Williams, who's not with us right now, but his CNN interview, is that uh, leaders right now are more important than ever. As uh, Sheriff Lewis and, and, and Mac talked about, and I think Ann will agree, that, and, and especially, by the way, our supervisors, you need to have these conversations at roll call. And, and we have to also say that, you know, you've got to put a pause button and let's see how all this shakes out. I mean, a lot of this had to do with show. A lot of this had to do with, with let's get out in front of the media right away. Um, and I said it last week, and I'll say it again, that when politics inter interrupt what we try to do in our profession, and when they intercede, intersect with each other, um, that's where, where chiefs and sheriffs really make their money. I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm so proud of Ann because Ann stood up for what she believed in, um, and, and it cost her her job. And I used to have a sign on my door that said, uh, I don't want yes men or yes women. I want people to come in here who will tell me the truth, even if it costs them their job. 
I believe that. I learned that from my, my as I like to call them, sea daddies or my trainers when I was young coming up. And right now, people need to go out. They, they, our, our supervisors especially, especially people on this call, and talk at roll call, number one, about how their officers are feeling because I think it's important to keep um, a, a good gauge on that and who's going out. And number two, about this issue about tasers. Okay, if somebody takes my taser, it's that old um, saying, is it um, awful, but it's lawful. And I've heard that again. And Dean, you know, from 2014 to 15, I was selected and sat on a panel in Washington, D.C. We met four times with uh, 200 sheriffs and chiefs of police. They brought in the Department of Justice, use of force experts. This is after what happened back after 2014 in the 21st Century Policing Report that was commissioned by President Obama. And we wanted to look at use of force because of Eric Garner, um, um, because of Laquan McDonald in Chicago, because of, of, of uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson and Tamar Rice in Cleveland. Those were four big issues. We had lots of protests in our country just like this. One difference, it wasn't as violent as what it was this time. So there are a lot of different issues um, that I have taken from. And when we were together those four times, I learned a tremendous amount about what we need to do as leaders to educate our politicians also, and sometimes even our attorneys, about you know use of force, Graham versus Connor, all these different things. Um, but the biggest part, take all that, everything I just said away. As supervisors and leaders, we need to be seen right now. We need to talk to our people. It's very important. I can tell you since we've been on this, the Commissioner of Public Safety in Minnesota here has been calling my phone. I don't know why, but it's a time to be out there and be seen and, and uh, to listen to our troops. Okay, Ann? Well, uh, I think one of the big issues that I have come to understand is that facts, facts standing alone is not tr the truth of the matter. So what I mean by that is you really don't get to the truth of something until those facts are put in context. Let me give you just a real simplistic approach because it circles back to the taser issue. So let's say that someone heard me say to Dean, go jump off a cliff, which we probably have said to each other at one time <laughs> or another. Is that a threat? Is that factually, did I say those words? Yeah. Does that, is that a fact? Yes. But you don't know the context in which it was expressed. Were we joking over coffee? and teasing each other, and someone overheard me say that? Or was I actually threatening Dean? So context matters. And that's the same with the taser issue. The fact of the matter is that we train it as a less than lethal tool. But everything has to be put in context. Now, with respect to this particular shooting situation, uh, I'm not going to comment on that uh, because all the facts have to be put into its context to tell me whether or not this is a within a policy situation or out of a policy situation. I have an opinion of it, but I'd, I'm not the one sitting in judgment because I don't have the facts on its face. Uh, I think you want to be real careful not to try to justify this or or not justify it. And leaders who get out in front too soon and try to comment too soon uh, can get you in real, real big trouble, okay? So say these are the facts as I know it today, and we will wait until the investigation is complete and all things are put into context before I will judge one way or the other. And, and I think that that I think that's what you're saying is you know very true. But I do think the one thing that concerns I know if 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 it was me and I was a police officer, one thing to be concerned of me right now would be that this case occurred not that long ago, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation had not completed its investigation. And the DA go ahead goes ahead and charges 
prior to the investigation being completed and then had a, a press conference yesterday that appeared to already have all those facts and things sealed based upon what the video had shown. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be critical of either of the DA. I'm just saying that most cops, they want a fair shake. And I think when you kind of see this occur so quickly and then not put into maybe that context and maybe not have all those things, I think it's upsetting to police officers to say, look, look, I'll stand on what I do is right and I'll stand what I do, but you, you give me a fair shake in the process of judging that. I think that is what a lot of cops are concerned with right now is that they literally, they'll stand on what they do. Just give them a fair shake when it comes to the same shake that you would give someone in a criminal investigation, you know, do those things. So I think that you're very true. I just think that cops are upset right now too, because of that, that they're seeing uh, this quick action and 11 charges. And, uh, you know, I mean, they charged the police officer with literally any, everything except parking a parking violation. I mean, when you look at the totality of everything they charged him with, every single act led to a charge. Uh, whether they're right or wrong, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that police officers want to be given the same kind of, you know, equal or, or due process when it comes to doing those things. That's, due process you know, matters. Due process matters. And that's where you're going to get your facts into context. Right. But I, I think you're going to be, I think we're very unwise to uh, try to defend it, and we would be very unwise to try to um, come to judgment because we do not know. And we're not the ones collecting the facts. We're watching the videos like everybody else. But I do think you can look at a video and say, as a leader, I'm troubled by what I see. Yes. But I am still going to now step out of this until I know all of the facts and the investigation is complete. Well, social and media I, is yeah. pushing us to very fast yeah. decisions to say and something. Yes. Right. And, and social media is pushing us to, you know, get out front and say all these things. So let's, let's go to another subject here for a second. And uh, I'm getting comments. Um, uh, a friend of mine in, in uh, Colorado, Annie Davenport has commented on the, she's on joining us here on the webinar. She says that, the state of Colorado just passed a bill eliminating qualified immunity. Um, I, do states have that right to do that? And I'm not sure you're, you know, you're certainly an yes. attorney and know better. Do they have the right to eliminate the qualified immunity? But that's only in the state jurisdiction, correct? It wouldn't be the right. federal. Right. They can do that. They can do that. And that, that's, that's troubling to police officers. There's no doubt about that. So, when you look at this, and, and, and this is a great thing about this webinars like this, is we get information from all over the country and you get kind of a picture of what everybody's trying to do, which makes this thing really, really great here. So let me ask you, you let's go to the panelists here for a second and give me your thought process on this because we've heard, we've heard a lot about use of force and we've heard a lot about the use of force lately in terms of, and you personally had uh, experience of this because you we're in the state where they changed the use of force law, but there's been some discussion about redefining the role of police. And we're going to get into that a little bit uh, in just a few minutes, but let's talk about the question of use of force. Uh, is it time for us to take a look at use of force and take the step that California took to where, if you don't know, in August of 2019, California passed a law that use of force would not be based upon reasonableness, reasonable use of force. It would be based on necessary use of force. Uh, and I'm going to give you a chance to speak to that because you have actually worked in that state and led where that occurred. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, even some police departments in the state of Washington, because that's where I did the majority of my police chiefing. So I've been a chief for a total of about over little over 20 years in several police departments. You can even, in one of my police departments, by policy, it was limited, the use of, use of deadly force was limited to when it was absolutely necessary and no other alternative means was available. That now became the standard for law. But by policy, if your state hasn't moved in that direction, you can actually limit that use of force if you want. I personally am a proponent of that. 
I think that we should be limiting deadly force to um, a necessary standard. And so that's uh, probably not popular among law enforcement because it does not give as broad of that quick second decision making that Tennessee Garner speaks about. It, it, it narrows that. So it's difficult for a lot of people, but deadly force, I think, should be at a necessary level. And so you're a proponent of it. Did When it changed in your agency or when it that law changed, what was the reaction in your agency? I think collectively people didn't like it. I understand that. Um, but it's not. But once you establish certain standards, people can keep people can rise to that. If you if that becomes the law, then you train to that law. I think I'm back with Mac. People want to know. Train me. If you train me and say this is the way it is, they will rise to that occasion. So if it becomes law, it takes it off the table. Okay, gotcha. Tom, you want to comment on that? You know, I think that we're getting into the. Uh, arena now that this is going to be a national conversation. I don't know if Ann or the other panelists agree with me. And, you know, I've studied abroad before, you know, with national police forces, and I don't, I'm not a proponent that we should have a national police force in our country, but I do believe it's time to look at the next step within this crisis of national standards. So to speaking to what Ann is talking about, uh, that's where we bring some of the brightest minds together including people, the experts in our line of work, to get together to talk about how do we have a national standard on use of force. I think there's a few things that would benefit law enforcement. I believe that when I was still the chief as well and, and did a lot of national work on this topic as far as whether it's social media, whether it's, it's uh, what I mean by that, body cameras, everybody's different, every city, every township, every county. Every state has different rules. And just like you just said, Dean, about qualified immunity in Colorado, it's being discussed here in Minnesota. I don't think it's going to, to pass, but it, you know, it's split on, on uh, uh, political lines. And that's where we find ourselves. And, and, and I, I want to go back to just one thing, and then I'll end here. Um, I think national standards are things that we need to take a look at. Deadly force is number one of those, those topics, use of force. The, the overall umbrella, but when we talk about all these different things about about tasers, about what what our officers should do, what we should we talk to our officers at roll call and other things like you spoke about, Dean, good leaders are going to get out there and say, "Listen, things are going to change. I want to hear from you. I want to listen, but and I want to bring those those ideas that you have forward." The worst thing we can do right now is sit back and wallow. And I know it's tough. Listen, I, I, I've got family in the business. I understand that. But now is the time for good bosses to support their people. And, um, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, if you're not a good boss and not supporting your people, those are some of the folks that maybe should not be here. Um, so national standards, use of force, national standard as far as how a chief or sheriff can terminate a problem employee that maybe we couldn't before because of civil service union and other laws. I think now is a time more than ever, and 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 we need to to move forward on that. Yeah, I got I got where you're coming from on that. So, Hobart, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Um, you know, it's there's so many different uh, opinions when when people watch something, and then social media takes off, and, and people have input, and they state whatever they think they saw um we realize that from the outside world but sometimes i think we tend to think that everybody in law enforcement is going to agree with what we see it and the way we see it um and that's one thing from again moving around and talking to the men and women here at the sheriff's office you know everybody it was unique to find some people that uh that had a little different perspective on it you know like that was just a taser or obviously the cartridge had already been discharged um, that had time to watch those events unfold. Maybe would it be better if the deputy had pulled his firearm out while they were on the ground and they were wrestling and that once he got the taser, if the shot had been fired there, how would that change things? 
So again, this is just one of those things that just continues that conversation. And, and no matter what anybody's opinion is, conversations are always good as long as you allow people to finish them. What they don't like is when you cut them off and, you know, we don't tend to listen. Um, and, and me being you, only being here 90 days now, people want to know where I stand. So, uh, so it's been a defining moment, you know, for me being the, uh, certainly a younger uh, administrative person in law enforcement. Um, I have, feel like I've, I've had my feet held to the fire a lot, about a lot of different issues. Uh, whether it's disciplinary issues or nationwide issues or whatever. Uh, but at the en end of the day, they all seem to affect morale, uh, race relations or whatever. And, uh, and that's certainly the biggest issue uh, for me that I think we can deal with directly here in this building is, uh, is to do something right away about that. So, so morale certainly at the top of my list, but when you don't have all the answers and you don't know what legislation may be coming and people are making decisions based on political motives, you know, you have all of these different feelings out here. Uh, it's certainly hard to get a grasp on all of them. When when you look at the California law, and I've tried to, you know, over the last several weeks, take a really hard look at this use of force. When you look at the California law, um, I, it's a little bit more limiting because when it says absolutely necessary, and that's like Ann said, the only option available, or was there other things you could do? you know, maybe it's time for us to have that discussion where we really deeply talk about that because there's one thing for certain, these use of force issues are absolutely going to be captured on video from now on. This is not something that's going to get less of. We're going to see all these things that are going to be vetted. I think the fact that, you know, over the last 25 years, we've taken life where every life means so much now and every life, and as it should, we, it's time for us to evaluate the role of police when it comes to use of force to make sure that that is the last resource or resource that you got is the fact that you can do that. And I, I mean, that discussion is going to have to happen. And I think we should, all of our leaders that are listening with us today should proactively look at those issues on necessary versus reasonable, because I think that is the standard we're heading to so that you can, have a conversation that you know you have the facts and you understand what's going on. Mac, let me chime in here from the captain's perspective. I'm like uh, and 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 uh, Chief uh, Sheriff Lewis and Chief Smith. Uh, you know, it, it is a hard thing. You know, use of force is in the eye of the beholder, and unfortunately, that beholder is now social media. It's never pretty when we use force. Um, it, it's it's a real hard thing to accept um, when, when it goes bad and when it goes good. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me is talking to these officers that work for me and work for other places within our department, explaining that, you know, we have all these tools in the toolbox and use those. Uh, don't be so quick to just use the, the one at the very end, the, the, the most ending one that we have, which is this lethal force. Um, you know, and a lot of it has to do with de-escalation and all that. But we all know, and we've been in this business long enough to know that, that sometimes that just does not work. I, I agree we're probably going towards some rewording of the use of force. And unfortunately, using reasonable away is going to probably go away and probably end up with something as necessary. Um, and again, I'd like to say that you know, okay, tell us what, what, what we need to go by and let's start training by that so we can all be on the same sheet of music because I believe having the same sheet of music for everybody makes it a whole lot easier than, you know, this portion does it this way, well, this portion sees it a different way and having some type of, of, of um, you know, say all, be all, I guess is the best, best way to put it because, you know, we constantly go over use of force every year uh, we, we do reviews of our use of forces. We have a panel that sits down and reviews these use of forces, and we're very transparent on our reporting. But we had to change some terminology in our use of force just because it, it was kind of open-ended. So everybody needs to be looking at that, that use of force policy and, and, and read it and make sure that, you know, it's, it's pretty clear and not open-ended. Um, but right. you know, like I said, everybody's got great points. Um, it is it is a new day in law enforcement, unfortunately. Definitely. Fortunately, on one part, unfortunately, on the other, because we are so tied in the way that we do things, we we tend to resist change, unfortunately. And 
you know, it's it's time. We always should be changing. We should always be evolving with the way things are today. And that goes with policies, use of force and all that. Well, you know, add a little levity to this. Cops hate two things. They hate change and the way things are. <laughs> so, that's, that's, that's pretty much the way we are as cops. We, we definitely hate those two things. I think the use of force issue is something that's going to be right on the forefront. We're going to have to get ahead of that as leaders. I think the more you have discussions about what's really effective and what works and uh, you know, you, do, you need to have all the information about that. So I encourage you to start looking at that necessary versus uh, reasonable use of force, because that's a conversation that's coming your way, uh, whether you like it or not, that's coming. Very difficult when you have 18,000 police agencies across the country uh, that, you know, to bring everybody together and get a national standard. But I think we're heading to national standards on a number of things. We've got a couple of questions from folks out in the audience. And uh, I want to mention one that I got from uh, Ray Walden, who is, I have a great deal of respect for. He's under sheriff of Clay County. And, you know, Ray talks about that there appears to be a lack of trust that's really, you know, rampant in our communities right now. And You've got the media that's pushing the lack of trust issue. You've got false narratives that's be pushing the issue. You've got all types of things that's pushing the issue. But most agencies are not equipped to be media outlets. You know that most agencies are not equipped to compete with the messages that are going out every single day that are negative and nasty towards police, even their own agencies. So I'm going to ask, and uh, Judy Powell, I know, I hope Judy, you're on here. I, I saw that you had joined earlier. If you'd like to chime in, please unmute yourself. And, and Judy Powell, if you don't know who she is, she's one of the PIOs that teaches for FBI lead. And she just recently did an online course, too, for uh, PIO. She's what I consider to be one of the foremost experts in the country on media relations and that kind of stuff. So how do we compete with these 25, I'm going to say this jokingly, 25-hour news cycles, which means it never stops? And how do we compete with this craziness to make our agencies even hold, I mean, even come break even? How, how do we do some of this stuff? Honestly, Dean, uh, I think if you're an agency that hasn't been ahead of the message yet and you haven't developed the relationships with your community, your electeds, your media, and your internal folks, uh, you are behind the ball. There is no question. I'm seeing so many police agencies right now being very reactive to messaging, whether it be the, um, you know, can't wait for eight movement or whatever it is. And we are responding when we are responding, we are losing. We've got to get ahead of the messages. Uh, some departments I'm working with have actually employed these things that so many of these activists are talking about, but they've never talked about them. So what I'm suggesting to them is not only get out and say, look it, eight can't wait. We've had this policy in place since 2017 and this policy in place since 2015 and, and explain what we have been doing as agencies and, and especially when it comes to accountability. You know, there, there's, there's very few agencies that don't have some level of the eight of those things that people are talking about right now in place, but the public doesn't know. So their ears are a little bit open now, but one of the biggest problems, Dean, and I could talk about this all day, is the fact that right now people are very emotional. And we in law enforcement have to recognize that you cannot fight an emotional reaction with facts. Can't do it. If I am over emotional and I'm all upset about something, I cannot come out and start spouting data and expect people to say, oh yeah, right, police, yeah, there's the data, we're good with that. Can't do it. So our messaging has to show that we're listening. And a lot of police agencies now talk about, that you, you hear them in their messaging, we hear you, we hear you. That's important. We've gotta let them know that we care about these issues, and then maybe we can take those conversations. But y'all are talking about social media, and, and what Ann was saying was was absolutely right, Ann, and I'm, I'm so happy to see you, sweetie. Um, that that we've got to tell our story and recontextualize what the media are doing. The media are pulling that five seconds out or that that you know short little part of body camera. Our job in law enforcement is now exactly I think what Tomas was talking about. We need to recontextualize the whole thing. You need to see the whole story. And I think Ann, Ann mentioned that as well. So that's something that we can do. And the other thing that we can do in law enforcement right now is to define 
the words that the media is using. So when we talk about defunding the police, what does that truly mean? Because people all get excited about jumping on these words. Oh yeah, defund the police. Okay, you know what that's gonna mean? That's going to mean we're not gonna get the training that you want us to have in de-escalation. That's gonna mean we're not going to be able to get the psychological help that we need to get for officers that are suffering from, from PTSD or, or, or other ill effects of being on the job for 20 years. That means we're not gonna have enough people to respond to your calls of services. I don't think there's any police leader in the country that is not supportive of help for dealing with opioids, dealing with homelessness, dealing with mental illness. We would all love to have another option than sending a sworn officer to those events. But that's that's what we can be doing right now, Dean. You know, it, it appears the very fabric of police work is being attacked. And when you, when you look at the very fabric of police work, so let, let's take this, and we've got a question from some of the uh, folks out here talking about, well, what should the Atlanta officers done? You got a guy, now, now this, is, this is where this gets a little nutty when you're talking about this. Okay, so I'm using the words yesterday from the Atlanta district attorney who is prosecuting the cops. He says, Mr. Brooks was peacefully sleeping in the drive-through lane. Okay, really? What is peacefully sleeping when you're under the influence in a drive-through lane? The guy wasn't laying in his bed. So now you have officers who come up and, and then they do their job and they do the things that they think they're supposed to do. And then the final action is what's in question here. But up to that point, what are police officers going to be doing? And you talk about morale issues. I mean, do you tell them when they pull up in a drive-thru, okay, pull over, let the guy go, send somebody home or whatever? We've all found out what happens there. Uh, we get sued when we take them home because they get involved in something else. I mean, what are we supposed to do? And what message are we to tell the public if they ask that question and they say, well, what would your guys do? What would you say? And so I'm opening Judy, how do we message that? I think in this case, and I think we all need to be aware, and for those of you who aren't from Georgia, I actually worked for APD when Paul Howard was district attorney, even back when I was uh, the communications manager for APD years and years and years ago. There's a lot of politics going on um, in Atlanta and in Fulton County. Uh, the GBI, yeah. I think most of you know, was blindsided by, by Mr. Howard's news conference. They didn't even know about it. Their investigation isn't finished. Um, so there's a lot going on in Atlanta. Uh, I think it's really important for any agency involved in anything like that is to get ahead of the messaging right away. And they have a very good communications team there. I don't know what happened and it's really hard, as you said, you know, us armchair quarterbacking is unfair, um, not only to our profession, but to that department and the folks that work there. But in, when an agency experiences something like that, you have to get ahead of the messaging. And within, we talk about social media, within three to five minutes, there is going to be a narrative that is created around that incident. We all know from Ferguson, if you want to go a few years back, what was the narrative that was created that stuck? Hands up, don't shoot. We all know after the investigation was done that that never happened. But it was a narrative that stuck because no one challenged it off the top. So law enforcement has to have those crisis communications plans in place. And it's funny, I'm just working on a, on a PowerPoint presentation about that right now. We need to get ahead of the message. So within that first five minutes, the law enforcement agency comes out with something and messaging is simple, Dean, as we, we are aware of this incident. We understand that it's causing concern. We are launching an internal investigation right away. We are encouraging anyone with video to please bring it to us so we can work with the GBI to have this investigation. And then finish your messaging up with, we hold every one of our officers accountable for their actions. That would be a start, but we have to, you know, it, it's just been such a hard time and, and police agencies right now, and especially leaders are so overwhelmed right now. And Erica Shields, who I adore, she was a lieutenant when I was there. She's amazing. She was doing everything right with that department. And our entire profession is suffering a, a grave loss um, oh. with Erica's resignation. Absolutely. No question. Now, now, let me make sure that we're clear here. We're not talking about cops running out and hitting social media. We're not talking about no. officers involved in a situation running out and hitting social media. We're not talking about, you know, uh, 
you know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the agency. Yes, sir. Okay. That's what you're talking about because they're, they're just, just clarify that we're not talking about cops running all over the place and doing social media. We're talking about your agency has to come out with a narrative because there is going to be a narrative. Exactly. And, and honestly, and Dean, sorry, Dean. I mean, we've got to make sure and look at, you can have social media policies all day long. Uh, a lot of them will be thrown out. Um, so you really do need to be very careful with your social media policies because they're ever taken to court. Most of them are, are not worth the paper they're written on. But again, it goes back to what you guys started this conversation about, Dean. It's about culture. It's about internal culture. It's about understanding what's best for the organization and is best for the people within that organization. And we have to have start having those hard conversations because the young people coming on the job anymore, you can't just give them a book of SOPs and say, here, this is what you shall do. People coming on the job today want to know the why. Well, why, why can't I comment on social media? Why can't I say what I want? Right, gotcha. If we're not having those conversations, if we're not having the culture issue conversations, we as leaders are really missing out. And, and I, th I think that's very valid. I mean, you know, I told you guys when Judy came on, she was one of the best. And, you know, you, you hear it here. You absolutely hear it. I mean, yeah. she knows what, what's going on with this stuff. And we're not talking about your cops running out there and doing it. We're talking about your, your agency messaging and getting ahead. And I think, like Judy said, there's going to be I, I would submit this, Judy. And if I'm wrong, please tell me, because this is about helping people. Even if your message is can't give all the facts. The fact that you give the fact that it's transparency is your message. I think that's a message. Would you agree? Absolutely. Look at in any situation. And we know I've been in this business for a couple decades. We, we know that the first thing you see isn't going to be the true thing that happened. I mean, we all know that there, there's not a homicide detective alive that can walk into a, a situation and go, oh, yeah, that happened because of that, that he did it. And this is why we, we, we can't do that. But if we at least message that we are aware we have concerns or whatever the wording we want to use, that's going to let the your community wants to know that you got this. That's the messaging you have to have. We got this. This is what we you need to do. This is what we need to do. We've got this. We're going to find a way to move through it. Your messaging has to take people from feeling like they are victimized to survivors. And I think that's a really big thing that, that, that leaders have to realize when we're messaging in crisis, we've got to take people from debating what happened in the past to, to talking about what's happening in the future. So the, the quicker we move from debating the past to talking about how we're dealing with this in the future, that's the tipping point of when we start to win. And, and you know, I, I like what you're saying there. And I, I want to go back to something that Hobart and, and Ann and Tom and everybody talked about this when initially we talked about the officers. You know, folks, our cops are all, they're all across the country are going to be asking, what, what am I supposed to do? Because even when I think I'm doing right, then this happens. And what I would say is keep doing what you know is right. Don't stop your duties. Don't stop what you know you should be doing. You've been trained to do. There's going to be instances like these that are going to happen. Fortunately, they're not every single day somewhere. They're not going to be the instance. We can't watch one single incident and paint the whole picture of law enforcement. If we do, we're doing what the public's doing. We can't do that. We, we have to trust that we've given these cops the ability to go out there and do their job, and we've got to encourage them. You keep doing what you're doing. We understand that. We know the national narrative is changing, but that can't get you hurt. Do your job. Go out there and make sure that you're, you see a violator in a lane in Wendy's that's under the influence, do your job. Don't hesitate with those type things. And am I wrong in that panel? Am I, am I wrong in that messaging? Dean, I, I, I was going to say, you know, you, you always talk about again, and you did last week and this week, past, present, future. And, you know, um, to what Judy was talking about as well, these are the conversations that you also have to have with your staff to let them know. Because, Judy, not all the time, especially in larger agencies, a lot of times you've got bosses that are actually going out there and doing the right thing, and, and, and it never gets down to the line troops. And I want to give you one example how social media affects us just tremendously. It's real quick. So in St. Cloud, Minnesota, it's about 70 miles from the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, about 100,000 residents there. Some of you may have seen this, but last um, um, weekend, uh, the police department got a tip. 
again, because of great relationships. That's the story that I, I think Judy would have gotten out, that there was a young man who had a gun and he was downtown St. Cloud. He happened to be a person of color. The officers get there, great description. As soon as they get there, he takes off running. One of the officers catches him. The young man does have a gun. He's 18 years old. He shoots the officer in the hand. Two people actually get on social media, change the whole story, and they lie and they say that the St. Cloud Police Department shot and killed two young African-American men. Next thing you know, 100 protesters show up in front of their head headquarters. Luckily enough, their chief, who I happen to know, he's African-American. Uh, I've mentored him in the past. He got on social media and they made sure to let people know that's not what happened. We had an officer actually in a deadly force encounter where they could have done, Dean, what you just said. They probably could have used deadly force. The young man shot the officer in the hand with his handgun, who was trying to effect an arrest. You know, totally different than the taser situation. They're all different. But again, how social media, they're actually looking at charging the two people that put out that false narrative, how it went from being one thing to all of a sudden another. I mean, times have just changed and it, it makes our jobs even more difficult. And I don't yeah, think and if we... I can chime in, yeah, sorry, can just chime, chime in there for a second, Tomas. Um, the one thing that is really important for law enforcement is I'm assuming those officers probably have body cameras and people don't believe law enforcement right now, we're, we're, we're not everyone believes us, but people believe what they see before what they read. So if that department just put out a news release and say that information was wrong, this is what really happened, that wouldn't be as effective as going here, here's the officer, here's the hand injury, here's the guy standing up doing that. I mean, that's important. And the other thing, I, you know, you got some leaders on here, folks, and, and I've come to this from a, from a communication side of it. Um, your PIO needs help. You need to be monitoring social media. If you do not have someone monitoring social media, not from a Intel Fusion Center point of view, but from a public information point of view, like exactly what the chief was saying there, um, you're losing out because you have to get ahead of that messaging. And a lot of that messaging, as many of you know, uh, comes not even from your community. You know, there, there are groups outside the United States, there are groups inside the United States that will take advantage of those things that happened to us in Baltimore during Freddie Gray. There was being, there was posts of horrible pictures of African American, African American men laying, dying on the sidewalk saying, look at BPD just killed another African American. We're like, where the heck is that? And un until we were able to geofence it and find out that it was posted in Nigeria, we're, we're chasing ghosts. So this is my little plug for you, you. Everyone needs to be following social media and having someone monitoring that now to try to avoid what happened. And you never would have thought as a police leader that you literally have to have your own news station inside your organization to start reacting to this stuff. But this is, you, you know, we've come to that point where you've got to be able to understand you're fighting a different battle and if you don't fight it on the same terms they do and don't get proactive, you're going to be left behind. The one thing I want to make sure that I encourage leaders is you have to stay positive. I do not care what the circumstances are. I do not care what we're facing right now. You have to step up. Tomas said this earlier. This is where you earn your money. This is where you step up and you step out and you support what your folks do. You call upon those relationships in those communities and you call those people out and say, it's time to stand now. And you call out and you support your cops. You have got to stay positive in this. If we don't stay positive as a unit of law enforcement and we don't stay positive and say, you know what? We've spent years and years learning and we spent years and years coming to this point of leadership. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do what's right. We recognize, we see the tide turning. We're, you're right but we're going to be ahead of that and we're going to find out. And I help with our communities to do these things. And I, and I think we've got, we can't walk around with our heads down. We can't walk around with, uh, you know, our shoulder slump. We can't walk around not looking people in the eye. We have to walk around and look straight at them and say, you know what, just keep doing your job. You know, not in an offensive way. We have to go on the offense without being offensive. And that is very important. I think in times of this for our leadership. So, you know, I'm going to go to the panel there and see we've been on this thing a, a little over an hour now and uh, we've had some great discussion. So I'm opening it up for you panelists guys to 
give me your thoughts on what you're saying. Any, anything you want to talk about? Can I just say one more thing and then I actually have another conference call I have to go on to? Um, <laughs> of course. Dean, you. you talk about leaders having to walk the walk and talk the talk right now. The one audience we really, really need to focus on right now is our internal audiences. Um, the, the, the chief and sheriff talked about morale and how important that is. Um, if you are not putting out internal messaging, when during COVID, I was telling chiefs, you need to be putting out messaging, if not every day, two or three times a week with the updates. Because remember, the first thing that people care about in crisis is, am I okay? Is my family okay? How is this going to affect me and what should I do? And we need to be answering those three questions for our employees as well. So leaders absolutely need to be seen out in front and internal communications right now is critical. Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I, I think that- Thank you. Thank you, Judy, thank you very much. And I, and I think a lot of times as leaders, we're influenced by the environment we're in. And that happens to everybody. And when the environment's nasty, negative, we have a tendency to be influenced by the, the human nature causes that with us. But when you take a leadership call and you take a leadership challenge, you, you have to be above that. And you have to know that. And Max said this earlier, we're going to come out all right. This thing is going to be now, is there going to be some collateral damage? Absolutely. Is there going to be some changes the way we're going to, have to do business? Absolutely. But the role of the police in our society is absolutely needed. It is absolutely necessary. And at the end of the day, I believe common sense is going to come about. We just got to stay strong during this period of time. We cannot allow the attacks that we're coming over to overtake our agencies. You know, there's a couple of things that I know as a leader, as I tell people that you have a choice every day. You either become them or they become you. And what we need to do as leaders is stay very strong and make sure our message is just what Judy said. So, uh, you know, somebody else come out. Uh, and you got something to say about that? Well, I can't say it any better than you. The messages that you're given exactly. People want to know. I want to know. Again, I, I like analogies because I can get my head around it. But I want to. I want a lighthouse I can look to uh, in that storm, and that has to be the leader who's strong, who's not going to be blown over by the winds of that storm, but who can be hopeful and can give that message of we're going to be okay. We're not going to, we're going to get on the other side of this and it is an opportunity and we're going to, we're going to run with this opportunity. So hopefulness is very important. Have you ever worked for an ER before? <laughs> no, uh, I, I cannot stand it. <laughs> I cannot stand it. Everything oh, is negative and oh, people, absolutely. people don't need that right now. Oh yeah. Well, well one thing know, I'd like to pass along and it was, it, it, it's a quote that I saw it on. I did not come up with this by any means, but I saw it and kind of rang true with me. And I'd like every supervisor and administrator to really hear this when I say it, because it, it really struck home with me is, you know, a, a good boat captain is never made great in calm seas. It takes, it takes, you know, a little bit of a test of some rough seas to be a good boat captain. And, and I would like to apply that to what we should be doing as administrators and supervisors. Uh, you know, it's great when everything's going fine, but they really need you and really look up to you during those rough times. And these are those times. It's, you know, it's time to earn your money. It's time to earn your spot. We're, we're here for a reason, and, and we need to step up and do it. There you go. Hobart? Well, I certainly agree. I didn't uh, – I can tell you the seas have been rough the last 90 days. <laughs> That's for sure. They've, uh, they've been a little rocky, but uh, – you know, good people make it a lot easier. And, um, you know, you can, it's during these times is when you do find your mid-level managers that are out there calming people down and making good decisions and dealing with a steady hand. And you also find those people who, uh, who tend to panic a little bit and have those knee jerk reactions. So, um, you know, certainly, certainly don't want to waste a crisis and take advantage of every part of it for sure. As the chiefs always told us, uh, but, you know, moving forward and having these conversations to be able to go back and take to our people uh, is priceless for me. I mean, I'm on I'm on day 93, so uh, I couldn't be in a better situation for sure uh, to have such a large audience uh, to draw information from. And, uh, and I just I thank you all for participating. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being honest with people and saying, uh, is this tough? Absolutely. Uh, do we have many unanswered questions? Absolutely. But 
what is our choice? If we don't do our job, then it's totally out of control. The only choice we have is like you said, Max, stay strong. The only choice we really have is do your job. The only choice we really have is to stay positive because the alternative leads to chaos. And, you know, when we signed up for these jobs as leaders, every single one of them that's on this web, uh, webinar with us, everybody single person's listening. When you signed up, there was never a clause that said everything's going to be great. There never was a time that said everything would be good. What it said was during all storms, you're going to stand strong. And this is the time when we got to do that. And it's okay to have those conversations. You're feeling, you're feeling uneasy. So am I. But guess what? Together, we're going to make it happen. You don't know the answer? Well, guess what? I don't either. But I do know one thing. We dang sure are going to find it. And we don't have a choice. We can't walk off and leave people unprotected. We can't not do what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we've got to do the things that we've been called to do. And this is the time when we answer that oath and it says call to duty, we, we, we take it seriously. Tom Awesome will give you the last word and we're going to close this thing out in just a minute. Okay, I'll be brief. And I'm going to use another boat analogy like uh, uh, Hobart and, and Mac. Um, and I think this one resonates with all of us. Uh, we all didn't come over in the same boat, but we are sure in the same boat now. And, and I really believe that. So I'm going to end with an appeal to the sergeants and, and the managers on this call. If ever there was a time, like Dean said, to be positive and listen to your employees, it's now. Please do that. For the command and the, and the sheriffs and the chiefs that are on this call, if there is ever a time, I, I put 38 years in this line of work, I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned a lot of great lessons. Now's the time to go out and talk to your distractors. Now's the time to go out to those communities that may not be pro what we do right now, to sit down and have those tough conversations and then come back and talk to your organization about it. I appeal to, the, to that group and everybody in between because, again, Dean, you're right. We're going to get through this. We can be better. But if we listen, both internally and externally, we'll all be better off for it. Thank you. And God bless everybody. Thank you. And, and it's always remember that the police are us and we are them. And that's just the way it is. The people are the police and the police are the people. And there's no doubt about it. We're all in this together. I want to thank everybody who's joined on our webinar. This has been two amazing weeks of conversations where we have literally talked about tough issues. We've looked each other in the eyes through the video the best we can through Zoom. And we've talked directly to each other. We've come from our heart. You can't ask for better than that. I am so pleased to be a part of such a great group of individuals like you and all those on our webinar. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for trusting us to have these conversations. I hope that you've learned from them. We're going to do more as the weeks are coming about. Uh, please uh, watch for the notice when we're going to do them. But I want to thank you for your comments. I want to thank you for your questions. And most of all, I want to thank you for being who you are. Now, you have signed up to do something that nobody else would do. Now let's go out there and make sure we pull together and make this thing happen. Like Tom said, we didn't all come over on the same boat, but we're in the same boat now. Let's pull together. Let's support our people. Let's protect our communities. You know, God bless this great profession, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We have officially rolled out the Leaders Helping Leaders Network online e-learning accelerator class. Be sure to sign up before June 30th for the early bird special price of $397. Be one of the first 100 students to register and you will also get three bonuses with the early bird deal. You can sign up for this course at www.e.lhln.org. Again, that's www.e.lhln.org. Sign up, grab your laptop, and get ready to change your life.